0: Well, good morning. My name's Jordan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Soul Sanctuary. And it's just great to be able to gather online today together as a community. And uh, I look forward to getting into the life lesson as we continue our series through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, Before I do that, though, I'm just going to share a little bit of a life update for my family. As many of you know, most of you know, a couple weeks ago we let the community know that I'd resigned from my position as adult ministry pastor here at Soul and have accepted another opportunity in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan at the neighborhood church. And so with that, we've had a lot to kind of, you know, prepare with not with a move that's coming up. And I have some good news on our end that our house actually sold last week. And so we're very excited about that. And we're gonna have the opportunity just to look for a new place. And uh, we'll be doing that sometime in the next week or so. And so thank you for all your prayers and just kind words. And uh, just know that we love this community. And uh, while we're excited for the opportunity that awaits, it's always a bittersweet thing to leave. And so um, with all that in mind, this will be the last Sunday that I give the life lesson here at Soul Sanctuary. And uh, it's kind of a doozy. Uh, It's a message that's going to get us thinking. It's going to get us uh, working with concepts that perhaps that we're not always uh, used to hearing. And so let's just get into it. A couple of weeks ago we talked about the resurrection of Christ and we talked about God's grace and how God's grace in fact pushes us and empowers us in how we live for him in this world and then last week we talked about, actually Pastor Jordan Michelski talked about the resurrection of the dead and just did an amazing job uh, going through that uh, somewhat complicated portion of scripture with us. And if you never caught it, make sure to go online and, and, and give it a watch. It, it is very well worth your time. He you did a great job. And today we're going to talk about the resurrection body and the implications Of all of this, and how this uh, has implications not only for our future but also for how we live today. And so, really, the topic that we're looking at today is the topic of transformation or the topic of change. And so, we all know what that kind of looks like when we hear those words, certain associations come to mind. Um, Let me give you just a couple examples. Uh, Think about vehicles over the years from like, you know, the early days of like, you know, the old school, really neat antique models um, to where we are today to where we were five years ago Um, things change things transform things develop things quote-unquote get better right and Even a couple weeks ago, when I did a trip, I rented a car, and uh, the car we drive is a 2016, and this car had all sorts of features that my car didn't, right? It told me when someone was in the lane next to me. There were all sorts of things that I wasn't used to, and change and transformation like that can be cool for us. It can be stressful at times, but at the end of the day, if something works better, we appreciate that sort of thing. You know, you think about cell phones and where that's come from in the last you know, 20, 30 years. I grew up in the Saved by the Bell crowd. I don't know if anyone out there uh, remembers that show or if I'm dating myself right now. But I, I, you know, I grew up in the day where Zach Morris you know, had that cool huge cell phone that he put up to his ear. And uh, to see where we're at now with the latest phones that are coming out that can do you know, a thousand more times and anything that phone could do. It's interesting how things change and how things transform. And that's really what we're gonna be talking about today, except for what we're gonna be looking at is infinitely greater, infinitely more powerful, and just beyond anything we could ever truly imagine with the human mind. And that's the transformation of the body, the the resurrected body, if I could say it like that. And so these are examples that I'm sharing today of change. And in many ways, things that get transformed, but they pale in comparison to what we're going to be talking about this morning when we talk about transformation. And so, as I mentioned, we spoke about the resurrection of Jesus. We we spoke last week about the resurrection of the dead, and today we're going to talk about the resurrection body. And I just want to give a little disclaimer as I start today that this may challenge what we normally think about when we speak of resurrection, okay? So be prepared to think about resurrection, perhaps in a new way this morning. And so, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn it there. We're going to start in verse 35, and uh, we're going to start with Paul proposing a couple of questions. Here's what the text says: But someone will ask, "How are the dead raised? What kind of, with what kind of body will they come?" And so, first of all, we need to talk about eternity when we start going down this path and what comes to mind for most Christians when they think about that word eternity Um, when you hear the word eternity what's the first thing that comes to your mind I think some people naturally think of heaven And they think of a place that's not here on earth and, uh, you know, heaven's just kind of way out there somewhere else. I think some, when they think of eternity, they think of the whole, um, I don't know if you remember the old hymn, I'll Fly Away. uh, Just that kind of theology, that kind of thought that eternity is somewhere, you know, way up there in the sky in like this non-bodily kind of spirituality. I think that comes to mind for some of us. But we all have different thoughts and associations that come to mind when we think of the word eternity. But let's suggest this morning that eternity doesn't take place somewhere in the sky in a non bodily form. But what if eternity takes place here? What if eternity takes place with God in the new creation? And so this is what I believe the scriptures are going to point us to today. You see, the scriptures speak of a full bodily. Resurrection, and not simply of a non bodily existence like many are led to believe. Pastor Jerry uh, talked about this in his life lesson uh, a few weeks back. And uh, for context, and really just to better understand the mindset of the Corinthian church and to understand where all this was coming from when the Apostle Paul was explaining these things, we must recognize that the Corinthians were born into a Greek worldview. And within this worldview, there are two worlds that are spoken of. There's the spiritual world, and there's the material world. Okay, so the spiritual world, Plato and the other Greek philosophers referred to this as the immaterial world, a place with no physicality. It was spirit. It was a place not here on earth, and. uh, and, and there was mystery to it, there was intrigue, there was awe. That's what they thought about when they thought about the spiritual world. The material world, which is the physical world, what, what, what we experience right now, um, what we exist in right now, and which would have been seen in these days as evil predominantly. You see, Plato and other philosophers of the time taught that at death you are set free, and I quote, exact quote, from the prison house of the soul... And you go to what Plato called the eternal forms, which to get our mind around this is kind of in a sense what Christians sometimes think of today when they hear the word heaven, which is this place of a non bodily spirituality way up in the sky or way out there or somewhere far from the earth. And the parallels, really, that exist between Plato's teachings and what lots of modern evangelicals think is actually, when you think about it, kind of scary. And it's kind of interesting that we we have those thoughts and that we think that way when it comes to resurrection. Because at best, it's an incomplete story. And at its worst, it's actually a dangerous and really improper paradox of the gospel. And this is what The Corinthians were born into. This was the world in which they lived. This was the common thought and language that people were used to, whom the Apostle Paul is going to address here when he talks about the resurrected body. And yet, the scriptures actually teach us that the world that God made is good, that the body is good. Time, mountains, space, water, land, all of it, when it was made in Genesis, is called good. In the beginning, it was all good, and it's God's creation that we are not, you know, led to believe one day will be scrapped and thrown away and uh, started over. But God is going to renew and remake and shape everything back into his image, into the image in which it was always intended for things to be. And so everything that was created in Genesis chapter 1 to 2 was good until human rebellion, chapter 3, entered the picture. And sin marred what was a good and perfect creation. And so the Apostle Paul is teaching that you are going to come back from the dead. And to the Corinthians, this kind of idea was way out of left field. It wasn't something that they were, you know, used to taking seriously. It was something that people in the church were obviously questioning, and the Apostle Paul had to bring some understanding. You see, some in that church were perhaps, you know, more, with a more Plato-influenced uh, worldview, might even argue, but the body is evil. How can that be? And the Apostle Paul will say, it is not, it is good because you are made in God's image. And so, when we speak about the resurrection, we must remember that the phrase "resurrection of the dead" in the Greek language literally means "resurrection of the corpses." Okay, you got to get your mind there—that we're talking about actual resurrection here, Cor- you know, the body being raised. And so, let's continue in 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 36, it says, "How foolish! <laughs> what you sow does not come to life unless it dies." When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives it its own body. And so Paul uses this phrase, how foolish, uh, which in the Greek can literally be read, you know, uh, probably you fool. Or, or even the word stupid could come to mind here in the Greek language. Imagine, you know, we had a question, a Q&A time this morning, and somebody um, asked a question, and the response was, you know, stupid, how foolish. Like, you know, it probably come across a little offensive maybe uh, to whoever asked the question. But that's the language Paul's getting around here. He doesn't like that they're questioning this. He doesn't like that they're starting to doubt this truth that they stood on. And Paul tells them to wake up and to get away from all the platonic thinking that you're getting sucked into. And he uses two metaphors here to help the church understand what the resurrection body will be like. And first, it's this idea of first fruits. It's, it's, chat, it's a chat about seeds that go into the ground. And he uses this metaphor to explain what is happening in the resurrected body. When you plant a seed, think about this, the idea is, is that the seed goes into the ground, and then the seed dies, it is buried, but then after a while... The seed comes back from under the ground as something. Something different than what it was when it went into the ground. And in this case, we see this as an example Paul is using to talk about resurrection. But notice that when the seed comes up from back from under the ground, it comes back as something different than how it was when it was planted. Perhaps it comes back as a plant. Perhaps it comes back as a flower or as a tree. You know, my wife and daughter uh, planted our first garden this past summer, and it was neat to see just throwing little seeds into the ground and all of a sudden having a bunch of carrots and lettuce and pumpkins and all sorts of different things that, you know, come out just by these little tiny seeds going into the ground. All of a sudden, things that come out just appear way different and unlike what it was that went in. The same is true between the body you have right now, the present one, and the resurrection body. And the Apostle Paul is using this as an example to help the Corinthian church and us today get our minds around what this looks like. You see, the body you have right now is sown. It goes into the ground at some point. It dies. You know, welcome to church on Sunday, right? It dies and it's buried. But one day at the resurrection, it will come back out but not as it is today, but rather it is transformed. It is changed. And the words Paul will use here to describe what it will look like, those are things he's saying, will be different. It will be unlike anything it was when it went into the ground. You see, when you think about the body that you have now and the body that you'll have forever, there's continuity and there's discontinuity. Continuity in in its, in that it's, that, it's the same you, same form of physicality, arms, legs, fingers, toes, eyes, right? All those kind of features. But at the same time, it's changed. It's transformed into a whole new mode of being. What, what a plant or flower or tree is to a seed, the resurrection of the body is to the one you, that you inhabit right now. It's going to be different. It's going to be better, much better. Let's keep reading in verse 39. Now, all, not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars, another. And star differs from star in splendor. And so this is the second metaphor that the Apostle Paul is going to use to describe what the resurrected body looks like. All kinds of different flesh. He's talking about earthly versus heavenly bodies. He's talking about sun. He's talking about moons. He's talking about stars. And in, in, in some ways, this could seem really complicated and really metaphorical, but really, it's actually quite simple when you boil it down to what he's really getting to here. Paul states that all flesh is suited to its environment that it is in. And so, for example, you are used to the idea that we need different kinds of flesh. He calls it different ways of being to live in different kinds of environments. To live on this earth, you would need a body like a human or like an animal in order to live here. To live in the sky, you would need to be like a bird or something with wings would be helpful uh, to live up there. Um, to live in the ocean, you need a body like a fish or like a creature of, a, of the sea, etc. And to live out in space, you would need a body like the sun or the moon or the stars. Paul's point here, what he's getting at here when he's talking about all this, is to live in God's new world, in the new creation, you need a new kind of body with a new capacity. Okay? Okay. Things are going to be different. Things are going to change. Things are going to be transformed. Next, he goes on and he compares and contrasts the present body that you were in now and the body that you'll live in forever, the resurrection. And so skip ahead to verse 42. Let's keep reading in, in, in the passage today. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. And so in verse 42, we see this word sown, and it's a metaphor for something buried into the ground, something six feet under. And there's four different examples that the Apostle Paul uses here. First, he says that the body sown is sown perishable, but it is raised imperishable. Perishable means mortal. It means that at some point, the body's going to break down. The body's going to wear out. But the point is that at some point your body does break down. It's only a matter of time. But Paul goes on to say that it is raised. You see the word resurrection nowhere in the scripture never once means going off to heaven when you die. And we need to understand when we talk about resurrection or we will miss what God is saying. Particularly here in 1 Corinthians. Resurrection is not simply a metaphor to for, for basically understanding that your spirit is alive, but resurrection is a concrete, precise, and literal word. And it means literally coming back from the dead, coming out of the grave, back into a physical body that is raised imperishable, immortal, This body you will have for eternity will live and last forever. And the Apostle Paul suggests that even though the body may be sown and buried in dishonor, as he says, with its effects of sin attached to it, yet it will be raised in glory. Glory meaning as in the way in which God intended. You see, the Apostle Paul says about the body, it is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. The point is that with time, we get weaker and not stronger. Our bodies will break down as we age. Things you were once able to do, you can no longer do anymore as you age. You know, this is like every sports fan's biggest fear, right? You know, when your favorite player who's had so many good years, either on the ice or on the field or on the court, you know, is now that player who should have retired five years ago, right? You know, I, I, I want to echo the words Tom Brady, but you know, he's still pretty good out there, so I can't really take a shot at him here. But the idea is that our bodies will unfortunately with time get weaker and not stronger. And that's just a fact. That's just how things happen. But Paul says, not to worry, good news, church, because we will be raised in power. And our new body will be unlike the one we are in right now. And it'll be exactly as God intended. No sin, no sickness, no aches, no pains, etc. You know, just boundless energy. You know those moments in life where you just feel like you can do anything, right? When you can just take on the world and you have such energy, you know? It kind of happens to me probably, you know, once every few years, but, you know, getting away from that, um, you know, just this idea that we'll be able to just keep going and going without being tired, there's just something amazing to look forward to here. And we have a natural body, but we can be confident that we'll be raised in a spiritual body. And Paul is arguing for a physical resurrection body, a body back from sorry, coming back from heaven, here on Earth kind of body. And so there are two types of body that he describes. and I told you this was going to get a little complex this morning but he talks about the spiritual, and he talks about the natural. And the natural body is the one that is characterized by sin and by the fall and all of the effects that go with it. And that's why we experience things like, like aches, pain, sickness, all the things that we don't want to experience. Spiritual body means animated by the Holy Spirit exactly as how God intended. And, and, and this isn't just some ghostly thing, but this is flesh, blood, hand, fingers, toes, all those things you'll find with this body. The body you have right now is animated by the soul, but the resurrection body will be animated by the spirit. And it will be imperishable, glorious, powerful, fit to live eternity, eternally with God. And so Paul talks about this and he he uses this, this idea of, you know, the first and the last Adam. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we read these words, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And so Genesis talks of the first Adam, the first man who walked on the earth. When Paul speaks of the last Adam, who's he speaking about when he, when he talks about the second Adam? He's talking about the last Adam, sorry. He's talking about Jesus. And it's a name used to show fulfillment. Adam and Jesus are parallel because both Adam and Jesus represent humanity here. In Adam, because in the first Adam, because of one human sin leading to death, now all who are in Adam, we because of Adam's sin are also born into sin and death. But because of Jesus' resurrection leading to life, then all who are in Jesus by faith and now in him, And so what happened to Jesus will now happen to you. You are in Jesus. And Jesus goes through death, comes out on the other side in resurrection, and that is the upcoming future for all the followers of Jesus. And that's our hope, friends. And we can get excited about that, and we can marvel at that. And and it just goes beyond anything that we could really comprehend with our human minds. Let's keep reading in verse 47. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven, as was the earthly man. So are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, and so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we will bear the image of the heavenly man. You see, the first man was described as dusty or earthy, and the second man was heavenly. Not heaven as in somewhere else way out there. The point was Adam's body represents earthly and what we understand today. But Jesus' resurrection was and is heavenly. Thus his body is as well. But we must again remember what is meant by heaven here. And I'm going back to this on purpose to keep our mind around it. The heaven which in definition is the invisible world where God rules and Reigns. That's what we need to think about when we think of heaven, the invisible world where God rules and reigns. Heavenly does not mean the other world or the place you go to when you die. Heavenly means under the reign and under the rule of God, in God's presence as God intended. And so the point of this illustration, the point of this example, is that Adam's body, earthy, dusty, broken by sin, you know, mortal. That's, where, that, that, that's what we find in Adam's body. But Jesus' resurrection body is heavenly, animated by the Spirit, under the rule and reign of God, in the shape that God intended, in God's presence, immortal. And we read in the Gospels about Jesus appearing to many, and some couldn't believe that he was standing before them in bodily form. In examples found in Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 36, let's check this out. While they were still talking about this, Jesus stood among them and said to them, "'Peace be with you.' And they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, "'Why are you troubled? And why do your doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones.' as you see i have and when he had said this he showed them his hands and feet and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement he asked them do you have anything here to eat and they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence and so when jesus appeared before them some thought he was a ghost and he's like no 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 touch my hands look look here it is here it is He needs to eat. He obviously has a body that still functions in that way. You see, the Apostle Paul's point is that right now, you look like the first Adam. You live in a body that is earthy, that is broken, that is animated by the soul. And this body breaks down. It wears down. Your body falls apart. It has been broken by sin. And all that comes with it, right? Welcome to church, friends. But one day for the followers of Jesus, here's the good part. You will not look like Adam, but you will look like Jesus. And one day you will have a body animated by the Spirit, a heavenly body, in in the shape that God had intended all along. And so in Paul's mind, all the talk about resurrection is about becoming like Jesus, all this talk about resurrection is about becoming like Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, you wake up every day, and what's the goal or what should be the goal of your life? Well, the goal of your life should be to become more like Jesus, to know Jesus, to live out his teachings, to think like him, to act like him. That, that's what it means to follow Christ, that we want to become more Christ-like in, in, in this process that we call sanctification, the process of becoming more like Jesus in our discipleship. But for Paul, he went even further, and he said one day you will look like Jesus, literally in a body like Jesus, in a heavenly body. Let's keep reading. Verse 50 to 56. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. the law. And so this is a summation of everything he's been talking about in this argument about the resurrected body. Flesh and blood was a first century way of saying mortality, which in this context, it is speaking of a body that dies, of a body that perishes. He's not referring to physicality. The body that we currently have right now is not fit to live in God's new world. Because your body wears out. Your body, your current body breaks down. But you will need a body that will last forever. With the, with the capacity to enjoy God's reign forever. And then he goes on because this raises questions. And the question is, what about the people who are alive when Jesus returns? What about those people who weren't like the seed that went into the ground? Or weren't sown into the ground? What will happen to them? Because we have no idea when Jesus will return. But what about the people who are alive when Jesus returns, who don't go into the grave? Do they not get a resurrection body as well? You know, are they out of luck on a technicality? You know, well, sir, you know, you technically didn't go in the grave. You know, sucks for you. You're out of luck. Is is that how it's going to be? Is that what it's going to look like? Are you stuck in a body with problems and issues for the rest of your life? Well, verse 51 tells us, no. It tells us that that's not going to happen. So, you know, I think you probably knew that that was the answer that was coming up. But it says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. We will all be changed. We will all be transformed here. What Paul is talking about here is resurrection we will not all sleep which in this case means we will not sleep literally means death and so some will be alive when Jesus returns to the earth but don't worry you won't miss out because we will all be changed we will all be transformed And the Apostle Paul has given them assurance to any question they can think of, to any objection they can come up with. He's trying to make this so thorough for them in the mindset of their culture, right? In verse 53, For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, and here it is, death has been swallowed up, in victory. And so let me just pause for a second just to give a little confession of a slip-up moment that I once had. When I was a young pastor, um, I was uh, asked to do like uh, a burial service for a family who were burying a loved one. And I was once reading this exact verse that I, that I read to you here at a burial service for a family who I love and respect and uh, whose grandmother and mother had passed away. And I accidentally, instead of saying from you know, uh, mortal mortality with immortality. I accidentally said the word immorality instead of immortality. And the husband, who was, you know, a son-in-law, noticed, and thank God he had a sense of humor about this whole thing. And after it was all said and done, he came and grabbed me by the shoulder and hugged me and said, immorality Jordan really and uh, we kind of had a chuckle about it and and I'm glad he had a sense of humor about it because that could have gotten awkward right and and so I just had to get that out this morning and just kind of you know bring back an old memory that came to mind when I was reading through this this past week but what this verse is saying to us is that you need to take off the body you are in right now like old clothes and put on a new body with new clothes And as this happens, the saying that is written is true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. You know, you could read through Isaiah 25 and you're going to talk about this. You're going to read about this. That God's plan from the beginning was to defeat death. God will destroy death forever. Swallowed up and it disappears. Nowhere to be found. Death has been swallowed up in victory, the scriptures declare to us today. And so Paul quotes from the book of Hosea in chapter 13 and in that passage if you look through Hosea 13 it's a passage that talks all about Israel's sin and states that that death is the result of sin and that it was never a part of God's original plan death entered as a direct result of sin God talks about death that is a penalty for sin but the good news and we read about this at the end of the book of Hosea is that God is also going to beat death itself, as it's declared in Hosea 13, 14. And Paul quotes this here in this passage in 1 Corinthians. That as this age-old promise we see in scriptures, it has found its fulfillment in Jesus. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And I love verse 57 here. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the way that Paul thinks about what God is up to in resurrection, he chooses the word victory. Because he clearly says that Jesus has given us victory. Jesus is at war with death. The scripture state that our God defeats death and conquers the enemies of God. And so we could have confidence in that today. And Jesus completes it. It is finished, as Jesus said before taking his last breath. And the only thing that will be left in the graves one day is death itself. Because death has been swallowed up in victory for those who love and follow Jesus. And so thanks be to God this morning, friends. Amen. That's an amazing thing. Now let me give you something practical to take home here today with you. After we've kind of looked at all that and looked at some of that um, argument that the Apostle Paul had presented. Verse 58. It ends like this. The chapter ends like this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I love verse 58. I like how it starts with therefore. Here's a quick, just a quick rule when you read Scripture. Anytime you see a therefore in Scripture, what you need to do is figure out what it's there for. Okay, You've got to realize why is he saying that. What are we transitioning from? And basically what the Apostle Paul is saying here is now in light of all of this that we've just spoken about, the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, and the resurrection body, in light of all of it, in light of... All of this amazing truth that death has been defeated and that you will be given a new body. One that is imperishable, the heavenly body. And resurrection you will know as well because of all this good and amazing news, this victory. Paul says this is what life on earth needs to look like in light of this. Because after all this talk about resurrection to Christ, the dead, and the body, Paul ends up leaving us at a very important place, and that is here and now, and our primary responsibility as we follow Jesus today. And he urges the church in Corinth to stand firm on these truths, to embrace them, to love them, and to live them. And he says, let nothing move you. Let nothing move you today which could refer to maybe some of the philosophies of the day that were trying to entice these people. Maybe the philosophies that, that try to entice you and I today. It could refer to any kind of discouragement or even persecution that one may face. Remember, this was an educated society, and this could even be to stand firm despite those who mock you or what you believe, North America, anyone. Paul is emphatic to stand firm, to let nothing move you. And then he ends with another thought. In light of all this, what does this mean for how we live today? Well, it comforts us, friends. It gives us hope. I think it allows us to see that our loving God and loving others and that our works of service in response to God's grace is not in vain, he says. But it has tremendous meaning, tremendous implications right here and right now. And Paul says to always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see, as Christians sometimes, I think we can end up in a place where we never intended to be. You know, what do I mean by that? Well, we can end up in a place where our future hope is so amazing and that's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. It It is an amazing thing. But we can get to a point where we could focus on our future hope so much so that we forget about our present responsibility. You ever been there? You ever been in that place where you sometimes see Christianity more as a transaction than you should, and you focus on your future hope at the, you know, at the the danger of neglecting your present responsibility? N.T. Wright says this. He says, If it is true that God is going to transform the present world and renew our whole selves, bodies included, then what we do in the present time with our bodies and with our world matters. And so think about your life or think about those around you. Is it fair to say that in some ways that perhaps many Christians have been, you know, far too content to separate our future hope from our present responsibility? As if our future hope was all there was to this thing called Christianity? But God has work for us to do today. And the Apostle Paul urges us to fully give ourselves to that work, knowing that it's not in vain. You see, this is what the Apostle Paul would refuse to do. This is why he ends this amazing teaching on this note and talks about our work in the Lord and the responsibility to be his workmanship that there is so much to do right now in the present in light of the amazing promises in the future that do await us, yes, but don't forget what's right before you today, church, and live in this moment. And this is your priority as a Christian, to love God, to love people, and to always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord here and now. This is priority. This is our present responsibility and we are encouraged by our future hope in all that we do. You know, think about why you make certain things priority in your life. You know, last week I got my winter tires put on my vehicle. Why? Because I know snow is on its way. I'm sorry if that's surprising to you. It's coming, okay? But also because of safety. You know, my wife uses our vehicle, our kids ride in it. And safety is of concern because I love my family. And so it concerns me, and it becomes priority that I make sure to put these on ahead of time. You know, I don't need to be talked into this. I don't need to be coerced. I don't need to be forced into doing this, but I love my family. And so some things take priority for me. In the same way, Soul Sanctuary, God has an amazing future plan for those of us who love and follow him. And he has expressed his love and grace to us, and it's amazing And in light of his kingdom being first in our lives, we make it priority to always give ourselves to what he is up to in the world today. And we know that as we serve and as we love and as we give and as we sacrifice and that not even, you know, a cup of cold water given in his name will go unseen, as scripture says. You know, we know that as we do this, our labor is not in vain, but it has meaning, it has purpose, and in him, we can make a difference which is one of our family values at soul sanctuary the apostle paul's teaching and doctrine on resurrection doesn't send us into some casual living in the present but it sends us back into our present world and into our present life of obedience to jesus there is so much that we can do and we can make a difference here and now and so What you do in the Lord in the present time, make no mistake, friends, will last. It will make a difference. There is much to do. We dare not be content to separate our future hope from our present responsibility as followers of Jesus. The point is, is that the Christian life is not simply to to achieve a transaction, but the goal is that as we interact with God, we are empowered to go out into the world and love others and share his message with them. And this work is not in vain. And so I'm going to end this morning just by quoting verses 57 and 58. And I'm just going to take time to pray And I pray that this is an encouragement for you, friends, that God has so much for us to do right now. He's invited us to be a part of it. Always give yourself to this work, friends. It is not in vain. Let's read verses 57 and 58, and then I'll pray. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you always give yourself fully to the work of the lord because you know that your labor in the lord is not in vain let's pray heavenly father i just thank you for your word today god i thank you Um, just for the promises that await us, Lord, as those who follow you, God. The promises of resurrection, Lord, the promises of a new body, the promises of, of, of eternity with you, Lord God. And I just thank you for that today. And I pray that you would just encourage each one of us today in that. But Father, help us just to also, in light of that, Lord God, always give ourselves fully to whatever it is you'd have us do today, here and now. God, empower us, strengthen us, open our eyes to opportunities all around us. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are with us, that you comfort us, you lead, you guide, you empower, you strengthen. God, we just give you thanks today. And so, God, I pray, God, that you would just speak to our hearts in whatever way you want this morning. And thank you, Lord, that you empower us, Lord God, to go out into the world and represent you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I want to leave you with the blessing. And so, as in ancient times, the one who blessed did so by extending hands. And those who want to receive a blessing did likewise. Soul Sanctuary, here's a blessing for you today. Eternal God and Father, by whose power we are created and by whose love we are redeemed, guide us and strengthen us by your Spirit that we may give ourselves to your service and live this day in love to one another and to you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Um, I hope you were encouraged today. Have a great week.